Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Soul of the Man podcast, our very first episode. I am your co-host or co-pod partner. I'm Darren Bryant, a.k.a. DB. And I am Michael Allen Humphrey Sr., your co-host, and thrilled to be here. Thrilled to be here. I am Chauncey Douglas, and I'm your moderator for this first episode. So, guys, this is our uh, very first episode. We've um, had a lot of time and, and, and tears and heartache and everything else that's gone into this episode. Um, my brother and I, Chill, we, we got together last September to start talking about this podcast over uh, lunch. And um, we originally planned on doing this and launching this in June or July, but uh, after you know, much thought and prayer, we decided we needed to roll this thing out now. And uh, we're super, super excited to be here and uh, we're ready to get the ball rolling. And this very first episode is going to be really for you all to get to know us. Uh, We have a lot of mutual friends, uh, but then we also have friends. I have friends that don't know him and Chill has friends that don't know me. So uh, we thought we'd just tell a little bit about ourselves. I would like to begin with What I have created, the three F's of your relationship, faith, fathers, and friends. Michael, a.k.a. Chill, tell me a little bit about, and some specifics if you can, very briefly, about the three F's that you two have together. Uh, Our friendship goes back 40 years. Uh, We're both North Carolina A&T Aggies. And (laughs) And that's how we met. <laughs> Literally, that's how we met. I'm, I'm uh, at 58, um, started school in 1983, and Darren came to school a year later in 1984. And we met through a mutual friend, uh, his best friend, who is my fraternity brother, and uh, have been uh, f- close friends ever since. Uh, have been truly, truly, truly blessed to have a core of us that uh, is all still together. And uh, fortunately, we haven't been super blessed to have not lost any of us um, to date. Um, But on the friendship side, uh, that's a tie. Um, That's where it all began. From a faith standpoint, um, it's incredible to have somebody that knows God, loves God, and is willing to hold you accountable and pray for you. Um, We don't do that often with each other and to have a man say hey let me let me pray for you um know you're going through something right now uh let's take out a moment and just pray pray there and then we're both fathers um and you know you look at the afternoon news uh and you see a different picture of black dads and for me um Again, I'm blessed to have the people around me, blessed to have him around me to see his example of fatherhood is, uh, is incredible. He loves his children, um, has two generations of kids, yes, <laughs> has two generations of kids. So, you know, had the, had the blessing of seeing with, with the older generation and now with babies, essentially. So, uh, yeah, we, we, we were all scratching our heads a little bit with the second crew saying, really? But uh, uh, so, yeah, uh, on the fatherhood side, incredible to have um, uh, an example of fatherhood like him around. Thank you so much. DB, Darren, what about you? So I'm going to jump into the fatherhood question uh, first. Uh, There's no greater joy in life to me than being a father. 
Um, as Chill stated, I have I have a total of four kids, three girls and one boy. Uh, I have a daughter, 30, 33. I have a daughter, 27. And then I have my two babies, uh, six and, and, and two. And uh, <laughs> so my friends all gave me a hard time whenever I decided to jump into this fatherhood thing again, because I was on easy street, uh, you know, empty nest. My wife and I didn't have to worry about kids. We could have been doing anything we wanted. I married, I remarried, married a younger woman who'd never been married or had kids. Um, and we decided to have a boy or, or decided to have a kid. And it was a boy. And we were going to stop there. And somehow we ended up with the second one, who's a wonderful baby girl who's named after me. Her name's Darren Ray. Um, and my friends give me a hard time about it. And my response to that is, well, some brothers like to play baseball and get base hits. Some brothers like to play baseball and knock home runs. I'm a home run hitter. All right, go DB. <laughs> I'm a home run hitter. So anyway, so yeah, I have four wonderful kids, the, uh, the love of my life, uh, the loves of my life. And I just don't think there's anything better than fatherhood. Uh, as it relates to friendship, as Chill stated, we've been friends for 40 years. Um, that means a couple things. It means we're getting older. Uh, but that also means that this narrative around black men killing one another and all of that stuff is just not necessarily true. All of our group of friends have been tight from day one. Uh, and like you said, thank God that we haven't lost anyone. And we're all still here. Um, faith. I couldn't do anything in life without my faith. Mm, uh, it's amen. been, it's been tested. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but I said, you know, it's steadfast for me. Uh, that was something that my mother instilled in me. And um, it's just something that I just can't do without. Um, I have to have my faith to make it through my life on a daily basis. So, and based on what you all have said, and particularly your 40-year friendship, I heard the word longevity. And longevity is key for what you're doing right now today. Because later on in the show, we're going to talk about, as I wrap it up then, is legacy. Longevity creates that legacy. And what you do from that time, from the beginning to the end. So that's important. Thank you, gentlemen. That was well done. So Michael, who is Michael Humphrey, a.k.a. Chill? Who are you? And what's all this chill about? <laughs> um, hard worker, dedicated, loving father, um, and solid good friend. Um, born and raised in Greensboro left Greensboro and moved to New York City and was in New York for almost 20 years, um, probably one of the greatest experiences of my life, um, to come out of a smaller southern city and be superimposed into uh, the center of the universe, as they say, in New York, um, took me out of my comfort zone and forced me to, uh, to, to live a very different sort of life. Uh, got on the train the first time going to work the first day, and there were eight different conversations going on around me on the subway in eight different languages. And I said, yes. I'm home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I'm, yes, yes. I'm here. Familiar with that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm here. But, it, you know, it was always, a, always a, a little bit of a fish out of water. You and I share being creative. We did, yes. And, um, uh, and that, that creative part of me was, was really nurtured and fed there in New York. So it was always a little bit of a fish out of water in Greensboro. And oddly enough, at this season, 
made the turn and came back to Greensboro because it was where I'm, where I'm supposed to be at this point in my life. Super. I love it. Hardworking, for those, who you, those of you who are listening, hardworking is a key word that he says. Everything that's worth getting is worth working hard Absolutely. for. Absolutely. I want to add just one little thing. Work smart. You do not have to make things in life difficult. You just do not. Moving on, uh, DB. Yes. Big DB. <laughs> Darren. Well, who, who are you? Um, I think, first of all, no thing. First of all, I'm a child of God. Uh, that's number one. Um, I can't do anything without him. I wouldn't be here without him. That's first and foremost. I'm a child of God. Uh, secondly, I'm a husband. Um, I'm a husband to Janelle Bryant, my wonderful wife of almost nine years now. Uh, and by the way, I want to give her a shout out and thanks for uh, giving me the space and the opportunity to do this podcast because she didn't have to. Um, but being her husband is, other than being a father, is the most important thing in my life. Uh, I get to wake up to her every day and co-parent our kids. And uh, it's been a great experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, third, I'm a father, as we've talked about take that job as serious as I can take it. It's probably the most important thing that I do on a daily basis. Um, I'm a, I'm a son. I'm a son of Ruth Atkinson and James Bryant, the late James Bryant. Um, those are my parents. I am an Aggie <laughs> and I will be an Aggie to the day I die. And I had to get that in there. Uh, and by the way, and I'm also a brother. I have a biological brother, <clears throat> excuse me, Quan Bryant. Shout out to you. Uh, but yeah, that's that's who I am. That's sort of, that's my makeup. Awesome. Well, you know, I'm a very observant person if you all haven't figured that out yet. And so I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I'm looking at your fingernails and, and your shoes and you all are just so well-groomed. Now you're wearing the wrong colors today. And for those of you, uh, they're wearing blue and gold. Aggie pride. At any rate, you all seem to have this, and I, I looked at your YouTube presentation, and you all were suited down, my brothers. You all were looking handsome and just, just wonderful. What is this affinity for fashion that you both have? And I have just a bit of information about you, Chill. So I'd like to hear from you first and then Darren. Well, um, my father was extremely stylish. Sharp, sharp guy. Extremely, extremely stylish, man. He, and he is also an anti-alum who was um, at anti between 1994 and 1952. And I've shown a picture each year around homecoming um, of the homecoming game. And these were, as he was, uh, many of these folks were World War II veterans. So he'd come back from World War II, uh, somebody his buddy started talking about what they were going to do after the war and somebody mentioned Tuskegee and somebody mentioned Howard and, um, and that was too far from home from him being a North Carolina native. So he said, um, he heard somebody else say, A&T. It's like, what's that? Where is that? He said, that's in Greensboro. He said, you know what? I'm going to look into it. So sure enough, that's how he ended up in Greensboro. But this, this picture at this homecoming were, uh, in many cases, these were, these were guys that didn't have a lot of money. But at this homecoming game, they were all dressed, jackets, hats, you name it. And um, this carried over with him. And although they didn't have a lot, there was still this, uh, this affinity to present themselves well. And that carried over in his life. And I picked that up, picked that up from him. Uh, real quickly, for myself, grew up in a neighborhood of incredible athletes. Smart guys, good-looking guys, and, and athletic I don't know if I had any of that, uh, some smarts. 
But in order for me to have any kind of presence, I had to, I found out my thing was to dress. And that was always, that was always my niche. And it always goes back to the girl. It yeah. always goes back to the girl, you know. So, uh, you know, of, of, of course, in trying to in trying to impress that that became my calling card. Darren, what about you? This with fashion? Yeah. So it's kind of twofold for me. Um, first of all, I got it from my mother. My brother and I both. Uh, from the time we were young kids, my my mother made sure we were always well dressed. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money but she always made sure we looked good and looked the part. Um, that's number one. Number two, my paternal grandfather, my dad's dad, uh, he was a farmer and he farmed every day, but every day he got off the farm, showered up and got dressed. And I remember I have this picture of him at our home during Christmas time, standing beside our Christmas tree in a three piece suit and a, and a fedora. And then he also smoked a pipe and he smoked, and he had that, that cherry tobacco smell. Yes. And he'd sit down, and he'd cross his legs like this, and he'd have his fedora on, and he'd have his pipe in his mouth, and he was just a quiet man, and he would just rock and look and listen, and he had this aura about him. Probably the reason why he and my grandmother divorced, because he was, he was a bit of a ladies' man. And, uh, but he had this aura about him, and I'm like, man, I want to be like my granddaddy. Because ah. he is stylish, he's cool, and uh, so yeah, that's sort of, sort of where I got my fashion sense from, both he and, and my mom. I can see it. I see what you both shared uh, and how that came about. So why, and of course, uh, by the way, for the record, I am a Hamptonian pirate, go Hampton University. The, the other oh. HU. The oh, other okay. HU. Okay. The other okay. HU. Uh, Oh, gosh, and A&T, yes, all family members. But at any rate, how did you both choose A&T University? Darren, I'm going to ask you to go first this time. Yeah, it's funny. I originally, um, senior high school, I originally planned on going to NC State and majoring in industrial engineering. Uh, but I had a chance to visit North Carolina A&T with a friend of mine. Uh, his father was actually in grad school at A&T. And one evening we went up to Auntie with him as he's taking classes. We hung out on campus. Uh, he and I both had friends who were a year older than us who were already freshmen at Auntie while we were visiting. And um, they sort of showed us around. And um, <laughs> when I saw the seven to one ratio. Oh, my. You got to be honest. <laughs> uh, I'd never seen so many beautiful black women in my entire life. Uh, that's a DB y'all yeah you know something I, I, sh I, sh I can honestly say I should say I, I chose Auntie for the education but that's a lie uh, the initial decision to go to Auntie had nothing to do with education it had everything to do with that 7 to 1 ratio girls to guys just being candid oh wait um, I just want to interject something mm -hmm. did you know both of you that Hampton is the epitome of beautiful black women that's what most guys used to visit for but we were known, and still are, for the beautiful black women. So I just wanted to, okay, go ahead. <laughs> yes, the yes, seven to one ratio, Darren, please continue. And I will never dispute that Hampton had beautiful black women, and they had a bunch of guys who were absolute squares, which is the reason why Hampton women <laughs> love anti guys. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, but no, so, you know, I, I had, to, had a chance to visit. 
um, really, really, really fell in love with anti freshman orientation. Uh, everything about it, the you know, it, uh, got away from the women's side of it. Uh, just the history, you know, Ron McNair, Jesse Jackson, uh, just everything about it resonated with me, and I, I knew that was going to be my home for the next four or five years. So great, yeah. super, super. Well, that's great. Now, I I like these two words, common thread. Mm-hmm. How would you define common thread? Because I want to ask both of you to give me somewhat of a summation about this summary of a common thread that you two share. Common thread. How would you define common thread, Michael? Organic similarities. Mm, I love. Oh, I love um, that. It's deep, brother. I love yeah. that. Is deep. Ooh, not, still works. Not not forced. Easy, um, not 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 forced. Easy, um, things that you just just share innately. Okay, yeah, I like it. Common thread, Darren. Yeah, oddly enough, common threads have differences also, um, and those differences they're not so different that there's still not some commonality and some unity there. Um, I I think to me, like you said, it's really organic. We don't try to do this. Uh, We can not talk for six months, and we hadn't done that in a long time, by the way, but we can not talk for six months and then pick up like we never left off. Absolutely. Uh, Just because we have so many common threads and so much commonality. Um, And then we have some life experiences that have been really similar. So Okay. Well, that that rolls me right into this next. um, I want our listeners to understand why this type of podcast and why now, Darren. Yeah. So um, the soul of a man, again, it came about as a conversation over lunch right before an anti-football game. Um, Michael had moved back to Greensboro. We've been talking, just sharing some things, you know, relationship, marriage, divorce. Uh, I lost my father three years ago. He kind of, uh, April 8th, 28th will be three years. He kind of helped me get through that. So we just started talking about all of that. And he said, hey man, how uh, candid and open are you? And anybody who knows me at this point in my life, I'm 57 years old, I don't have a lot to hide. And some people say you shouldn't say you don't care what people think about you, but I don't. I'm just going to be honest. Um, I am who I am and I'm unapologetic about it. Um, and so when he asked me how open I am to doing a podcast, I'm like, I'm, I'm an open book. Let's talk. And so we started having the conversation. Um, and I think what really drove it home for me is a couple of things. Number one, some of the common things that we had in terms of just some tr- triumphs and tragedies in our life. But then I also talked to a lot of other brothers and realized that there's a group of men out here who feel just like I feel and how chill feels and uh, don't sleep at night. Um, and not just brothers our age, but young brothers as well. I sat around a table over brunch with a group of young brothers and we were all talking about not sleeping at night. Mm-hmm. And just the reason why black men don't sleep. It's about not having enough money to retire or making sure our families are taken care of, uh, doing the right things as, as fathers. Just a whole plethora of stuff that keeps up, keeps uh, up at night. Um, and then the final piece for me was when uh, Twitch, Ellen's DJ, committed suicide. 
uh, for some reason that just stuck really deep into me. And, um, and I said to chill, I said, if we can do this podcast and it can prevent another black man from killing himself, another black man from walking out on his family, uh, if it could help a sister understand what we have to deal with on a daily basis or, and I said, my wife sleeps great at night. How do I know? Because I look at her while I'm wide awake at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, I need a sister. I need sisters to understand what it is that's keeping us up at night, because not only is it affecting our mental health, it's affecting our physical health. Uh, So I thought this podcast would be great for all of that. That's just a long winded answer, but that's that's my truth. Great. Michael. I'm 58. Um, he's 57. So we're at a very different season of life. Mm-hmm. Um, he's lost a parent. I've lost both parents. Um, so even at a point where you just start thinking about your own, mortal- your own mortality and um, making sure, again, as someone who's had it instilled in them that the most important thing is to take care of your, make sure your family's taken care of, take care of your family. Um, these are concerns that weigh heavily uh, to a point where um, you miss the sleep. You, you have some worry, even in your own faith. You still have some worry to make Absolutely. sure that, that, that these, these folks that I made the choice to bring into this world are going yeah. to be okay. Um, so the other piece for me is that when I lived in New York, I was part of a men's ministry group at my church. And it was about 60 of us called Frontliners. And it was an opportunity for the men to get together twice a month and talk about whatever the subject was in the church. And conversations went from, uh, from concerns about family to infidelity to sex before marriage to you name it. We talked about it right, right there in church where mm-hmm. you should be talking about these yes, things. Yes, indeed. And what I found was that um, other brothers I talked to did not have that sort of an outlet. And even though this isn't um, a live broadcast that we're doing yet, um, it's still an opportunity for us to have a dialogue on a lot of different subject matters and hopefully give other brothers and sisters an opportunity to, to get some perspective from us as regular guys. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of podcasts that are out there now that are celebrity driven. We're not celebrities. We we are you. We are you. Um, and I like uh, that. so it 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 you know it really is the hope that um, again people will hear what our perspective is, start dialogues of their own, and dialogue with us. Right, right. All right. So I, as I look at you, and before I had met you, and you and I just recently, well, actually, this was our first meeting, first meeting today, yeah. and. Um, I looked at some pictures that Darren had shown me and I said, gosh, they look alike. <laughs> wow. They look alike. And then all of a sudden, cause Darren and I had a very interesting encounter. We know it wasn't anything or anyone, but God. Absolutely. And it was a local God. barbershop, yeah. a f- dear friend of mine. And he, I guess you get your hair done there sometime. And your hair, haircut. Oh dear. That's right. Oh. <laughs> and it's He's therapy. Uh, haircut, haircut. And we chatted and we just said hello right. and we both went our way. I think I lingered back behind. I then had to go to the library. It was a rainy day. And Darren, when I got into that library, first person I saw. So 
I grabbed him. I says, hey, can you listen to something for me? And don't you know we just saw each other in the barbershop? So uh, make a long story quite short and knowing that this, this, what we're doing today, and I believe we'll continue to do not just this podcast, but some other things that God has purposed for us to do is he then began to tell me about the two of you. And I found it so, it warmed my heart how he spoke about you and the love he has for his wife now and all of his children. That for a person like me who is a love child, that's the epitome of love. And that's what I see in you. So there's a there's a twin kind of thing going on. So I, I heard uh, Darren say something about, well, they call us, Miss Chauncey, the Wonder Twins. <laughs> Tell me about that, Darren. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. I guess this actually started at your 50th birthday party. Uh, we took a picture together at his 50th birthday party. So it's been a while. Man, you're getting old. Yeah. Uh, his 50th birthday party, we took a picture together, and I posted the picture. And the comments from some, from some of my family members, they reached out to my mom and said, hey, Ruth, do you need to be telling us something? <laughs> or does Uncle James uh, need to tell, tell us something? Something's going wrong here. Because Darren and Chill look more alike than Darren and, and my brother, Quan. And, and so I'm like, you know, I didn't see it at first. And then I started to look at this picture, and I'm like, okay, there's something, there's something here. Um, and, and so as time progressed, we would show up at functions or go to an anti-football game. And uh, the most recent was this year at homecoming. Jiho, by the way, greatest homecoming on earth. Um, I had this brother walk up to me in an event, and he started talking, and he thought I was chill. And he's like, man, I got to, brother, I got to take you and show you to my wife like I was a, like a circus animal or something. Okay. <laughs> he's like, I got to take you and show you to my wife. And he was like, hey, doesn't he look like Mike? Doesn't he look like Hump? And I'm like, hey, yeah, all right, cool. And so uh, it just has been going this ongoing thing. And so I think we kind of coined the phrase Wonder Twins from that old cartoon, Wonder Twins. And I think now when we get together, it's Wonder Twins form of big money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> whatever. But yeah, that's kind of how we came about that name. Wonder Did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, no, it, it was, um, uh, it was interesting. We, we have an affinity for Tom Ford sun- glasses and sunglasses. So we were both wearing <laughs> yes, al- that almost the same glasses the night of my birthday party. Wow. And, uh, so that really took it further. We were both dressed. We were both wearing these glasses. So that took it even further. And, uh, and as people, people kept asking and kept asking and kept asking, um, the Wonder Twins cartoon from back in the day came to mind because literally they would they would fist bump and say form of right and whatever form they wanted to take on they took on so um you know form of moguls moguls all right moguls and so be it may may i add this for some of you millennials and gen z's who have no clue to what wonder twins who the wonder twins are I need you to Google it because this is way before your time. So, yeah. And that's the importance of this con, this um, podcast for the young people to hear as well. And maybe there's some things that where you, and I'm going to use this word very candidly, made mistakes that you can help someone else Absolutely. to Absolutely. not travel that road. Yes. That being said, now <clears throat> that we know each of you a little more, let's dig a little deeper for some upfront transparency in other words the truth and nothing but the truth 
Uh-oh. What were the most, or if there are multiple, defining moments for you as a man? Chill, since you're the oldest, can you go first? Yeah, I, just, I literally just told Darren um, last night. Um, I was about 24 years old, out of college, and um, was a member of a church in Greensboro. And the pastor had become a family friend and a personal friend of mine. Now Bishop had become a personal friend of mine. And he offered me a lot of opportunity within the church. One of those was to paint a mural in the nursery of the church. I was an, awesome. it was an am an artist. And um, he just gave me this canvas of a huge wall to paint this mural. And he came by. I was working one afternoon. He came by. And we hadn't had a lot of conversations, but he said, um... I want you to speak on this Sunday uh, uh-huh. and I want you to speak on the subject of excellence for God is not optional. Uh, wow. Uh, uh. And I love it. I said, okay. He's my pastor. I said, okay. Um, he knew really nothing deep about me at all, whether I could do it, whether I would be horrible, whether I'd be okay. Um, and what he didn't know is that even in my introvertedness, don't give me a microphone. Because if you give me a microphone, I'm going to show up and show out. Mm-hmm. All right. And this Sunday, I showed up and showed out. Mm, touche. Um, and my mother was there and my father was there. Go to my parents' home after it's over to have breakfast. This was a 7 o'clock service, have breakfast. And my father's sitting at the end of the table. And his head is down. And he's weeping. Mm. Tears of joy. Tears of joy. And my mother says, Norman, are you crying? And he didn't pay her any mm. attention at all. As if it, it was just me and him there. And my mom wasn't even in the room. Didn't answer. Didn't look up. Didn't respond. He responded to me and said, son, one day you're going to have children of your own. And they're going to make you prouder than you ever thought you could ever be. I am so proud of you. Now, he was a man who said, I love you my whole life. I'm 24. Remember, now I've heard I love you my whole life, but I'm 24 years old. And it was the first time I heard I'm proud of you. Uh And that stayed with me. So when I deal with young people and when I deal with my peers, um, I, the love should be known. Yep. Yes. But we don't always tell each other how proud we are. That was a defining moment in my life. Great. Darren. Yeah, for me, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, <laughs> I probably, I'm going to be honest, I probably didn't love anyone more than I loved myself until I had my oldest daughter. Mm. Um, she was a um, she was my graduation present from Auntie. <laughs> she, she she was born in August of 1989. She was my graduation present. Uh, had a little fun my senior year. Uh, but before she was born, I just really didn't know how to love anyone more than I loved myself. And she is the very very first person who taught me that. Mature of you, Darren, um, to be able to say that. Yeah, thank you. It, it was it was crazy. The moment I laid eyes on her, I knew I would lay my life down for her. And I feel the same way about my other kids to follow. 
Uh, so yeah, I think that was the most life changing, most defining moment of of my absolute life in my entire life. Super, super. I, I I really pray that those of you who are listening embrace what both of these gentlemen just said. But there's a level of maturity, and maturity doesn't come with age because you can be a wise old <laughs> fool. But the things that these two gentlemen have said thus far are key, and I really want you all to embrace what they've said. Now, so, so for the many age groups who are listening and watching today, I ask, what would your 57-year-old Darren and your 58-year-old Michael say to your 18-year-old and 21-year-old self, and why? And please include the midlife crisis. Okay, no, okay. <laughs> so for me... I would uh, tell my both 18 and 21 year old self to slow down and enjoy the ride. Uh, I've been driven for a very, very long time. Uh, success driven, honestly, money driven. Um, I would tell myself to slow down and enjoy the ride. Uh, everything does not have to be right now. Um, I would also tell my 18 and 21 year old self that you can't hurt other people mm. um, intentionally or unintentionally. I've hurt some folks in relationships. Uh, it's not something I'm proud of, but I would certainly, and, and I think it's funny. God waited till I was 50 years old to give me a boy, mm. <laughs> a six year old son I have now. And when I was in my early ages, like, you know, twenties or whatever, thirties, I always wanted to have a son. And the reason I wanted to have a son is because so he could be just like me. I want my son to be a player. <laughs> oh I want my boy. son to be the man. I want him to just have women. And today, I don't want that for my mm, son. I want yeah. my son to figure out, you know, how he wants to date. Uh, but I want him to be honest. And if he wants to date multiple women, that's fine. But as long as he's honest with everyone. Yes. And the big thing is he can't, I don't want him to hurt people like I did. Uh, it, it literally took me 50 years for him to, for him to get here, um, for me to get to that sort of that. So Abraham, Abraham, is that you? That, that's <laughs> me. That's me. My wife's not Sarah. Okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's, that's, that's me. Um, okay. so yeah, I, I would just tell myself to slow down, um, enjoy every moment and make sure you are a good person and don't hurt people along the way. Great. Michael. Uh, young people talk a lot about chasing the bag now, uh. and um, and I I chased the bag. Uh, Can you be a little more uh, specific? Some may not know that terminology. So so that's that's stacking dollars, that's chasing <laughs> money. Uh, the bag is money. So this yes. is chasing money. Um, I've switched careers chasing money. Um, some of those mistakes of of the switched careers chasing after money. So it, it, the, the message would be, be very careful about chasing the bag. It's really more about experiences yeah. than it is the bag. Um, now, some of those experiences, depending upon what they are, takes some of the bag. But um, it, it, it's much more, at this point for me at 58 years old, much more about the experiences that I've had, the experiences that are coming, than it is about... Um, how much can I earn? How much can I earn? How much can I earn? 
It's much more about the experiences at this point. And the second piece, um, my grandfather, nearing his death, um, my brother and I visited him, and he made a statement to us. Fourth grade education, peanut farmer, peanut and tobacco farmer in Bladen County, North Carolina. Um, but he's, he made the most profound statement, one of them I've ever heard in my life. And he said, boys, just do good. There was no definition about what area in which to do good. It wasn't do good in school, do good in your life, do good with your friends, do good with your kids. Just do good. Do good. Just do I good. love it. I love it. Yes. Hmm. I, I had another thought, but I'm going to wait because I'm certain it will surface. Darren? Mm-hmm. This is really key, and I'd like for you all to look in the camera when you answer this question. What do you feel is needed to restore the balance in the healthy black families and more so in how black men and black women relate to one another? I need you to, this is a loaded question, but this is something I believe is so important in relationships. And I wrote a book about it. So I want you to look in the camera and speak to the people. Yeah, that's a really, really good question. And I don't know that my uh, anti-education will allow me to answer that question, but uh, no, seriously. Um, what's needed? I think, first of all, trust is needed we've lost a lot of trust in our community amongst men and women, in particular black men and women. Um, honesty is needed. You know, we just have to have tough conversations. And, and sisters, let me be honest. When a brother, you, you say you want to know the truth. So when a brother tells you the truth, be prepared to handle the truth. Bottom line. So we need trust. We need honesty. Uh, realistically, man, we need lo more love in our community. You know, and, it, and when I say love, it doesn't mean that it's a husband, wife, love, boyfriend, girlfriend, love. We just need to love each other as people, as God's creatures, God's creative. Uh, we, we need love. Uh, I, I think if we have trust, if we have love, uh, there's nothing we can overcome. We shouldn't be able to overcome uh, in, in our community. Uh, I just think we, we got to have honesty and uh, we have to take care of one another. Um, it, when I grew up, you know, the neighbors could beat your kids. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody looked out for everybody. And somehow that's gotten lost. And so I think we have to get back to that. And I think it begins in the household. Um, I, I think as black men and children, we were talking about it this morning. When you're in a, in a family and you have a united family, the devil's going to attack the man first. So I need for my sisters to pray for me whether it's my wife, a friend, or whoever. Because if they, the devil knows if he attacks me and beats me, he can have my wife and my kids. That's going to come pretty easy. Uh, but I need to be the strong person that God has designed me to be. But I can't be that person if I'm getting beat down by my own community and starting at home. So, yeah, Amen. that's kind of what Amen. it is to me. Very good, very good. Uh, Michael, uh, before you enter into answering this question, healthy. Uh, I coined a little saying about healthy, but healthy black families. 
And as I listened to one of the answers you gave previously, you said that I love you was said in your family. So healthy. What does a healthy black family look like? And then I'd like for you to answer the rest of the rest of my question and how black men and black women relate to one another. Um, healthy for me um, is uh, I'm not going to use the cliche apparently because you don't like cliches. I prefer them not. Anyway, prefer them not. Uh, if you'd like to use that, by all means. Uh, uh, family that prays together stays together. Um, truly believe it starts with the foundation um, built in a family's um, spirituality, um, belief, faith in God. Um, and everything goes from there. Um, and truly, truly, truly everything um, branches out from there. Um, there's a statement, uh, a quote, and I can't, and I'll be paraphrasing it, but essentially came from a, a speech from Malcolm X in 1962, where uh, Malcolm was talking to a group of black women. And, uh, and we've heard it a lot in the past several months, in the past couple of years probably, that the black woman is the most disrespected, unprotected mm. being on the planet. Mm. Um, I don't question that the black woman is disrespected, unprotected, but that's also the case for the black man. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, and we can't be, um, can't have this dynamic where we're um, championing our own um, uh, downtroddenness to a point where we don't see the other individual, the other group of individuals that are feeling the exact same. Um, you know, it without fact, we we we've seen situations where there are black women and black girls missing. As a girl dad, it's terrifying for me. Absolutely, positively Certainly. terrifying. Um, but in this, again, in the same breath as a black man when it's been instilled in me to protect my family, to provide for my family, to guide my family, I can't fight in the workplace, mm -hmm. come out into the world and code switch and put on whatever mask I've got to put on for it, whatever situation I'm in, whether it's walking into Bloomingdale's, whether it's going to the airport, whether it's um, um, being in some other public setting and having security follow me around. I can't fight at work. I can't fight out in the world and code switch 24-7 and then come home and fight again. Mm, my Lord. So there's, there's got to be a safe space when the one safe space I have is home. It's got to be safe. Amen. Say so. Amen. And that that will help in the in 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 the healthiness, and that, and that's provided by both mm -hmm. men and women to each other. I believe that if any person, no matter your gender, your ethnicity, your social economic status, two words that Darren said that really stuck, and I I hope that it will stick with you listeners: love and trust. 
love and trust. And I want you all to think about that as, um, as you think about what was spoken here today. So gentlemen, what are at least two things that describes how you process and express your emotions that you had to unlearn when you realize they were unhealthy. Let me, let, me, let me say that question again because I want the listeners to hear this also. What are at least two things that describe how you, each of you, process and express your emotions that you had to unlearn when you realized they were unhealthy. Darren. Yeah. So for me, and I think this probably goes for a lot of men, especially black men, I had to learn or unlearn how to cry. Mm -hmm. Uh, My father was not a big emotional man or, or didn't have a lot of emotions. He was pretty stoic in his uh, just everyday life. I had never saw my dad cry. Um, and, and what if I would cry or my brother, boy, stop crying, man up, man up, stop crying. And, and so as you grow up as a black man, you think that's how it's supposed to be. I can't cry. But if you're not crying on the outside, you're certainly crying on the inside. Yeah. And it's and it's killing you. Uh, so I had to l- unlearn how not to cry and learn how to cry outwardly. And unfortunately, it hasn't stopped because I'm a crybaby. Oh, uh, that's good. I respect <laughs> the man that would cry. Let it be known. I, I am a crybaby. I, I think the other thing that I, you know, my father was a great man, so I don't want anybody to think otherwise. But he he never said I love you mm. a lot either. I got that from my mom. Uh, so I had to, as much as I learned from my dad, things I learned from my dad, I also learned some things not to do from my dad. And, uh, so I've always said, I love you to my wife or my kids or whatever. And to my friends. Um, and, and it was interesting when my dad got, I think when he started facing his own mortality and he told me that before we hung up a phone, the phone call, he said, I love you. It blew me away. Cause I'm like, he hadn't said that in years, like 40, 45 years. I hadn't heard that from him. And then when he said it, I'm like, okay, he, I think a couple things, he's come to grips with his own mortality. Yes. And he's showing me that it's important to express that. I love you to those that, uh, those people around us. So those are, I guess the two things I've sort of unlearned and processed. Darren. Uh, Michael, I mean, yeah, Mike, I know we look alike. Oh my goodness! Yeah, see, the Wonder <laughs> Twins, you all, it's getting uh, for Michael. And, and for me, um, they're almost polar opposites. Um, the two two components. Um, I talked a little bit earlier about fighting. You, yeah. you and I talked earlier this morning about having had careers in corporate America, yes. and showing up and being the only one that looks like you in the room for my career. Um, um, for the most part, um, only black in the room. Um, so fighting in the workplace, code switching and fighting in the streets, <laughs> and then coming home and you're on the defensive, always having felt like I was in a fight. 
wherever I was, whoever it was that I was up against, always literally feeling like I was in a fight and, and at times not being able to distinguish, okay, you're at home and you can let this guard down and you can chill and be you, um, but still ready to fight if the fight was brought to me. So what did you have to unlearn? Uh, that it wasn't always, it wasn't always a fight. Uh, I was just, I was constantly on the defensive. That's it, that's it. Literally. Mm -hmm. And the second piece of that was to not get into confrontation. My default is to retreat. Yes. And retreating for me, um, I, I, I would have conversations and say, hey, I need a minute. I just need a, need a minute. And typically a minute was about what I needed <laughs> to get back together. But if it's coming at me, bop, 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 I don't have that minute. And at that point, I'm, I, I shut down and just quiet and re literally retreat into myself. Mm -hmm. And you're not communicating when you do that. Guys, thank you. That was I, I know that really blessed someone and also rearranged their thoughts. And I like rearranging people's thoughts. Not their answers, not their not their final decisions, but rearranging thoughts. And and I think and I believe that this will be the beauty of the continuation of this podcast as you all move forward, that you'll be provoking thoughts in others and prayerfully change will come. So with that being said, again. Hmm. What is one thing about you that people would be surprised or they don't know about you? Darren. One yeah, thing. So uh I am a big fan of watching like Animal Planet or National Geographic stuff about animals. That's probably not the one thing. This leads up into that one thing. Where's my camera? It's right here. Right. Okay. <laughs> so that's just no. And I have to sort of put a disclaimer out there. I don't ever want anybody to die. And I know people are like, what are you talking about? I always root for the animals. Always. If you want to climb into a gorilla pen and that gorilla beats the brakes off of you, I'm good with it. If you want to go to the Great Barrier Reefs and go swimming with the sharks, and now you come back swimming like this because that shark took your arm off, I'm cool. I always root for the animals. I'm sorry, but that is my thing. Because I think people do some of the dumbest thing, things. Jumping in pens and, and fences and, and the habitats of these animals. It is the dumbest thing to me, so I always root for the animals. Just That's the one thing about me. Okay, all right. Okay. All right. <laughs> and, and for myself, I mentioned, mentioned it a little bit. Um, in, in this last segment, extremely introverted. And people would not have an idea about just how much because most people see me in a professional setting. And in those settings, when it's, when it's time to be on, I'm on. Um, mm -hmm. We were laughing this morning, um, uh, talking with our friend Donald, and I've uh, talked about um, that, that clip from years and years and years ago, Diana Ross concert, and she made the mistake and handed the mic to Michael Jackson oh, yes. and couldn't get it back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, back. when it, when it's time to be on stage, when it's time to be on, I'm on, but, um, 
some of that too is is being a a, a visual artist and a creative. I understand. So I, I can go that. real deep into myself and uh, real comfortable with myself in that regard. And um, and and don't need a lot of interaction. So people would, would be really, really, really surprised that I'm as much of an introvert mm -hmm. as I am. Mm -hmm. All right, I like that too. That that has a special place in my heart because see, to know you is to be you, hmm. and you must love you. So all right, gentlemen, let's see. Hmm, who are your top five influencers in your life, and why? Just give me one specific, mention the five, but give me one key person and be specific. I want to hear five persons, but I want to hear the specifics about one. Okay. Darren. My mom, my dad, my grandfather, my grandmother, Dr. Jeff Nkange from North Carolina a and and a boss I had named John Sudarth. Uh, my one would be my mom, uh, and that's because she introduced me to Christ. She made sure mm, that I don't care what I did the night before, Sunday morning I was going to be in church. So that, that's my one. Okay. Michael. Uh, and for myself, um, mother, father, um, my older brother is four, four years older than myself. Um, my, my fraternal grandfather my father's father um and my best friend yeah okay and who is the number one the number one i would say um would be my fraternal grandfather and um my father was the product of my grandmother and a renowned preacher who mm. did not claim him and mm -hmm. when my grandmother um, moved from that area and met my grandfather, he loved my father so much that he adopted him and gave him our name. Mm, I love it. All right. All right. Guys, as we begin to, gentlemen, rather, as we begin to wrap up this particular session and the premiere of The Soul of a Man, I'm, I'm quite uh, honored again and excited about what is to come and the people that you have moved into a different motivating area in their lives. Um, what was or is your proudest moment? What was uh -huh. or is your proudest moment? Yeah, I, I think for me, again, that's a pretty easy answer. Um, I'm proud of all my kids. Some of them are too young to even know what I'm proud about. Um, but the, I think the proudest moment was walking my oldest daughter down the aisle to get married. Uh, it was sort of full circle, a father giving his daughter away to another man uh, and a man that I know is a good man. Uh, so that's my proudest moment. Awesome. Michael. For me, it was a, a, a career moment. Um, and um, I finished uh, Wake Forest Business School in 1997. And um, graduation day, um, we get back home and the phone rings and it's the National Football League. And they are calling to offer me a position in New York City. 
And uh, so it was, uh, it was a defining moment, again, that put me in this environment that really changed everything. Um, and, um, and, and again, took me out completely and totally out of my comfort zone to, to the place where, interestingly enough, my friend said, you know, it makes sense. That's where you were always supposed to be. Mm. But it wasn't. No. Because I, ne- I needed that homegrown Southern, uh, all of that Southern goodness that I got in Greensboro. I needed that to survive there. And uh, so it was not a, not a question of coming back home um, again at this season of my life. But that was my proudest moment. Great. Well, gentlemen, I have one last question for you. You know, it's always said, leave your children an inheritance. And what for those? What are those persons that don't have children? What do you leave behind for someone to remember about you? To to know that you really made a difference in their lives, and we we call that legacy. Michael, what do you want your legacy to be, and why? It goes back to my maternal grandfather. Just do good, um, and it is. Um, the legacy is that of um, being a good person, um, someone that people depend on, someone that people know their word is bond, um, someone who um, who's impacted on other people's lives. And at the end of my time, it's my hope that there's one person or more that can say, my life was better mm. because you were in it. Amen. Amen. Darren? Yeah, for me, um, presence. And I don't mean presence like gifts. I mean being there. Um, I want my kids to say my dad was always present. I want my wife to say my husband was always present. Uh, there's so many families when, where the husband's in the house, but he's not present. I want to be present. Um, when I check out of this piece, whenever God sees that, uh, I want my kids to say my dad was always there. When I needed him, he was always there for a piece of advice, uh, not the monetary stuff, not you know the clothes, the shoes, or whatever that is, just my presence and, and my ability to comfort them in time of, of need. Um, that's what I want my legacy. But I want my friends to say the same thing. Hey, I called DB, he was always there for me. He was present. Uh, when we have conversation, he was present. He wasn't stargazing off something else while I was talking to him. He was actually paying attention to what I was asking or talking to him about. Uh, I think that's the, one of the biggest things I can do as far as leaving a legacy. I think it, just people say he was always present. Mm-hmm. Uh, one last thing I remember in a conversation, Michael, that the three of us were having, and there was a keyword. I'm a I'm a keyword person, and I think it does help many. You use the word, when, when I think about legacy, I think about character. You talked about character. Tell me what your take is on character versus reputation. See, because if anyone to ask me, if anyone were to ask me, well, Chauncey, what is more important to you, your character or your reputation? Oh, character by, by far would take the lead. It, yes. it, for, for, for me, it's um, my makeup, my DNA. It's... Um, how people describe me when I'm not in the room. Um, you know, what, what, what makes him, what makes him good? 
um, because I don't want my character to be associated with with negativity. Um, certainly want it to be positive, but it, it's literally what 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 are those traits that make make him a good guy? Um, uh, I, I was a scout, and um, uh, and I'll probably mess this up, but a scout is trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. I think you did well. You actually, did. I was an Eagle Scout. Eagle Scout. So okay, yeah, that's yeah. right. So, so I didn't forget it. Mm -hmm. uh, Fifty years later, didn't forget it. Um, but those—that's character for me. What 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 makes me up? What what what's in my DNA? Okay, and and Darren, you you said a word that was so important when I was originally asking you about this legacy. You used a one word. In fact, I asked you to come up with one word, and you said fatherhood. Tell the men out there, what do you mean? And what does fatherhood mean? A father is not just someone who has birthed a child into this world. Fatherhood, Darren. Yeah, I think fatherhood is the most important thing a man can do. Um, you know, I hear a lot of people talk about how important mothers are to their kids. And don't get me wrong, super important. I could not do this without my wife, I promise you. But I know for my daughters, my, my goal in life or my objective in life is to make sure I show them how a man is supposed to treat a woman. I want to be the first person they love and fall in love with. Me, their father. I will dictate the count of men that they date and bring home or women. I would dictate the kind of person they bring home based on how they see me treat their mom and based on how I treat them. My son will model himself by, by the actions he sees from, sees from me. If he sees me hitting my wife or treating my wife bad, he'll think that's the norm and he'll go out and do that to some woman or someone. So I know it's important. I think the man is the most important thing. And this does not diminish or take away from the woman. But I think we dictate and set the tone of how things move in a household. And so fatherhood is it could not be more important to me than being a great father. So that's that's my deal on fatherhood. Well, gentlemen, I've enjoyed this time with you all for this uh, podcast. And what I'd like for you to do now is do a wrap and tell people how they can tune in. When is the show going to be aired? And then, of course, how to contact you. Yeah, so uh, first of all, Ms. Chauncey, thank you so much for being a moderator. You've been absolutely amazing, an absolute godsend. My podcast partner, thank you, brother. We got through our first one, Wonder <laughs> Twins, <laughs> Activate second <Excellent>. episode. <laughs> uh, we, we've gotten Step through this, this first episode. Uh, I think it was great uh, for our viewers. Thank you for rocking you. with us. Please like, with share, us. subscribe. Yeah. Go to our uh Instagram page at The Soul of a Man Podcast. Go to our YouTube channel, The Soul of a Man Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, The Soul of a Man Podcast. Hey, we love you guys. From our soul to yours, thank you again for rocking with us.